If these bulls could talk, they would walk along the bases and into the fields. If these bulls could talk with Mark and John. Welcome to If These Balls Could Talk, where each of us brings forth five topics to discuss and the other has no idea what those topics are. My name is Mark Pesci, and with me always is my partner in crime, who's definitely worth more than a dime, John Campania. What's going on, John? And I'm always on time. Always on time. <laughs> What's going on, Mark? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yeah. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. How was your break, John? It was very good. It was very busy. Jamie had the flu a week before Christmas, so we had to get her healthy. Uh, I heard you had a little bit of a medical thing. You want to tell the folks about that? I, I did. Now, normally during the holiday break, my company actually takes like mandatory time off and whatnot. So I already had some time off planned. I was going to get some stuff done around the house. Some and, mark time. Some mark time. Uh, and then my appendix decided it just didn't want to be in my body anymore. So I heard uh, you don't need those. I, I You don't. Um but on the morning of Christmas Eve, I was in the emergency room with uh, a lot in a lot of pain. That sucks, and, dude. And then on uh, and then had the appendix removed on Chris on Christmas Eve. Right, because you told me Christmas Day and it was already done. Uh, but I was let go of the hospital on Christmas Day at about one in the afternoon and was able to spend it with the family. Did they just like circle around your bed? No, I was actually able to spend it at home, uh, of which no one got any presents from me because I left them all at home and I didn't bring them to the hospital. Maybe, oh, and you were at your parents' house? I was at my parents' house. Maybe maybe, maybe next time I, I have a major surgery, I'll just remember to bring the presents with me. Did your sister get you jello for your for Christmas? No, no. Um, <laughs> that would be, be funny. That would be funny. Okay. Um, with us today is our special guest, our friend Sadie Campanella. Welcome to the podcast, Sadie. Hi, thank you for having me, you guys. Hey, Sadie. What's up? How was your holiday? It was pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, felt kind of chaotic in the lead up. Had to get a lot of last minute gifts. Had to kind of spread myself out a little too thin. But the actual holiday itself was really nice. And New Year's, very low key. Christmas is super hard when you're an adult. I feel so stressed every year. Like this year I came to it and I was just like, it's Christmas again? Shit. Yeah. I am terrible at kind of balancing my finances as well. I love getting gifts and I have a big family and I will spend hundreds of dollars on every single one of them. And it's a terrible flaw of mine. Yeah, Sadie, you and I have the same number of vowels on our name. So, <laughs> so I, I get you. I feel that. Mm-hmm. You guys are very, very, actually very similar last names. I noticed Campania, that. Campania, with this, uh, giant, lots of Italianness on this podcast yeah. today. It's an Italian episode. It's a special Italian episode. Oh, God. We're going to get canceled. We're fine. <laughs> Italians don't care. All right, let's get to know our friend Sadie, shall we? So, Sadie, you are by far our most distinguished athlete that's been on the show thus far. You are a professional tennis coach as well as a nationally rated and respected tennis player. You also have multiple siblings involved in sports. How did you and your family get so involved with sports? So our involvement probably stemmed from my parents. Uh, My mom was actually a fantastic 
uh, basketball player when she was younger. Um, she went to Bryant College um, and she played basketball on the team, got into the Thousand Point Club. Uh, my dad was also into a lot of sports. They played volleyball together. They played a little bit of tennis. Um, so multi-sport athletes. Um, so when me and my siblings came along, they got us started into a bunch of different sports. When I was very young, they had me in gymnastics, softball, basketball, pretty much the whole shebang, a lot of them. Um, and I didn't actually get into tennis until I was in high school. And that's about when all of my siblings really got involved in it as well. Um, it's actually a funny story because I was very much not athletically inclined at first. Uh, I was in all of these sports, but I really hadn't found one that I really enjoyed. So when I went out to do summer camp for tennis, um, I was actually wearing jeans and a sweatshirt in like 90 degree <laughs> heat. And I looked so atrocious when I went out there. It was awful. Because um, jeans but, are really flexible. Oh yeah, really flexible. Yep. I may have ripped a pair or two, may not have, I won't confirm or deny. Basically, I love it. It. Um, and after that, I joined the high school team. I really hyper-focused on it. And I like to think that I got better really fast. Um, and I mean, here we are today. You know, my siblings are also fantastic players. My little sister plays for Colby Sawyer College. Um, my little brother, he's actually a fantastic baseball player. Both of them, both of my little brothers are. But uh, my youngest brother is a senior this year in high school and he is looking at uh franklin pierce a couple of other schools to play baseball for them who's a bennis tennis player you or amelia your sister uh me sorry <laughs> amelia <laughs> no but she's great though and we played doubles together for usda this past summer we played on a team together and we were pretty much undefeated there was one little blip in there but we make a really good team Who's more competitive, you or your sister, on the tennis court? That is tough yeah. because I am very competitive, but Amelia gets angry competitive and she will give sass and attitude all day long. It's so fun to watch, oh. but I don't want to be on the receiving end of it. Is she a real rule stickler? <laughs> um, I mean... She like McEnroe was line judge? She won't call a line judge, but she will get very angry if someone calls a ball that's anywhere near the line out. <laughs> Look at that. You think I even know about tennis? I don't. I know. He, he played he, off he, well. He played, he played his, uh, his one, his, his John McEnroe card. I did. I did. I know Andre Agassi, too. Yeah. Pete Sampras. I know some names. I even have you a know, tennis question for you guys. You know, those names never get old. Never get old. Exactly. <laughs> you only learned them from the last episode. Yeah, the last episode. Exactly. <laughs> So, Sadie, um, and I know this, but not only does your family play sports, but I hear you also play Dungeons and Dragons with them. In fact, you even DM sometimes for the games. So how did your family D&D games get started? Um, well, that's a funny story. That relates kind of to my dad, also kind of to my fiance, Pat, uh, because my dad was really into Dungeons and Dragons when he was younger. And he tried to get all of us involved in it and playing it, but we were like way too young. And so all of us like took our characters and jumped into poison mushrooms and died immediately. So it didn't really go so well that first time. That's uh, amazing. But yeah, fast forward to quite a few years later, I meet Patrick and he 
brings up very early on, so I knew that we were compatible because we're both super nerds, um, that he was into Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I was like, oh, you're going to get along with, great with my dad. And so we started all playing together and we've been playing together ever since. Great. That's super cool. I'm a late life Dungeons and Dragons. Actually, I'm a late life nerd. I came to RPI and um, I met a whole bunch of people who at my point, and when I was 18, I was like, well, I'm super nerdy. And I was like, wait, no, I know how to talk to people somewhat. And so um, we have been playing D&D now, so 99, like over 20 years. And um, I, I have the itch really bad, but my friend who DMs for us, he doesn't want to start a campaign just yet. I found, um, and this is not a plug, they're not a sponsor, but I found HeroQuest. So I like to print color minis now, um, oh, which nice. is super cool. HeroQuest, for anybody who doesn't know, there's a... Um, online uh, 3D uh, CAD program where you can create your character and then have them printed and shipped to you. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's super cool. It's not even that expensive. Yeah. Now, I have to ask you, have you reached the level of Dice Goblin yet? What's a Dice Goblin? That is when you have a terrible urge to buy every single set of dice you see that you like, and you end up with thousands of dice, and no, you that's, can never that's, use them That's all. our DM. Our DM is a dice goblin. He has yeah. boxes and boxes, and I literally bought him metal, uh, metal dice for Christmas, on top oh, yeah. of some other things. Yep. Mm-hmm. We've got gemstone dice, we've got wood dice, we've got metal dice, we've got nice, cute little resin dice. Like that's We've got cool. so many. It's like pouring out our ears. Do you put your dice on timeout when it misbehaves? Oh, yeah. I, we actually have, I ordered off of Etsy a little timeout chair, and it's and it fits a little dice, and it's got like a little wooden dunce cap that you can put on it <laughs> to put it in timeout. Sadie, I love that. I want one. <laughs> it's really fun. So, Mike, it's like, er, Mike, Mark, it's like uh, crafts. He's known me for 23 years. He's forgot it's my like name. It's like crafts or blackjack <laughs> where um, sometimes the dice turn on you and you I need to put them in I actually did know that. I yeah. actually did know that. I think I actually learned that from watching the Big Bang Theory because they love to play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, you, have to, put, you have to put them in timeout or you're going to die so badly. That's true. And then you pull out one of your other 100 D20s to roll and hope you get a nat 20. Yeah, or something <laughs> that doesn't suck. The last yeah. character I the last character I played though was a swashbuckler, and my swashbuckler was a very skill driven swashbuckler. So it didn't actually matter if he made his checks or not because I just RP'd it away. If he missed a check, I was like, "That's all right, I'm here." <laughs> we love those characters. <laughs> yep, yep. What was his, his name? His name was Connor. Connor Cole. And actually, talking about the minis, let's find my camera. There's the mini for him. Very nice. Mm-hmm. My new camera is actually really far away, so you definitely didn't see that, but it's cool. Uh, I saw the vague outline of a bow, I think. He has a bow. Yeah, he has oh, a good. bow and a cape. He has a little, <laughs> his little treasure chest because he's a rogue. Oh, very nice. Yeah. By the way, Dungeons & Dragons is going to be uh, my equivalent to John in tennis because I won't be able to contribute much. Hey, I, I don't know Not if you heard me, I, Mark, I have a tennis question. I do. I was trying. So, Sadie, you also recently got engaged while visiting the country of Iceland. Now, tell us about the moments leading up to the engagement and what you were thinking when, in your own words, we were all acting weird. I thought that everyone was mad at me because... no. Well, this is the thing, right? I planned the whole trip. I really kind of, you know, tried to get everybody's interests involved. I booked everything. Like, I made sure that we were all kind of, you know... 
on the same travel page and everything. But then we ended up getting our flight from London to Iceland canceled. So we had to rebook uh, a flight there. And basically we, after losing our minds trying to figure this out, we did end up getting a flight and we were going to be able to fit everything I had planned in, but like a speed run of it. So we got there and I had, you know, mapped out a nice little South Shore tour um, to kind of see a lot of, you know, the either the Black Sand Beach or the waterfalls or all of the sites around there. But it was like, what time would you say we started that at? Probably around like 10 we got in we started it late we're yeah, driving i can't remember it was it was it was later obviously than we wanted it to but it was i i don't remember specifically you told that time. story a week after like it was a cool bonus day so i think you did great sadie <laughs> well i mean at the time everyone was acting weird and not saying much so i was like why does everyone hate me right now i was like i get it i we like got the flight canceled i really kind of jammed everything in but i really wanted us to be able to do all the things that we had planned because how many times are you in Reykjavik? exactly exactly and so we had stopped at a couple of the waterfalls along the south shore um and there was a kind of like hidden waterfall um the pronunciation i am probably going to slaughter this but the cavern foss um that is the hidden waterfall that we were trying to find and we were taking the wrong path at first and we were walking down the wrong path for a little bit i was basically like you know there's so many waterfalls here i don't mind if we skip this one that's fine and my now fiance goes no we're finding it I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, that was aggressive, but all right, we're finding it. So we turn around, we eventually find it and we get there and everyone's just kind of standing there, staring at each other and staring at the waterfall. And I was like, this is cool, right? Like, this is a nice waterfall. We just found a hidden waterfall, you guys. Yeah, yeah. And so then uh, Pat's like, I'm going to take a, a video here, a time lapse or, of the waterfall. So he sets up his camera. I'm standing there doing my whole thing. Brittany and Mark are so awkward, just like We're not like circling there. around her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you guys doing? Like hovering like vultures over there. <laughs> so then eventually I... I'm hearing uh, Pat call my name and I turn around and he's there down on one knee and I'm like, oh, this makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. And then after that, Mark and Brittany were like, congratulations, like back to normal. I'm like, so you didn't hate me. Yeah, we just are awkward people and we felt awkward because <laughs> it was weird. But they did a great job. I was, you know, totally in the dark about it. It was fantastic. The way my wife tells the story is it. that um, everyone knew but her. And even when it happened, she was like, what's happening? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's I shocking. think that's a pretty natural reaction. Mm -hmm. It didn't. It doesn't feel real, you know? I mean, it feels a little more real now. Do you guys, but have, like, a, do you guys have a date? Um, we haven't settled on one yet. Um, we are thinking sometime in like October 2024 because I really like the fall. Very yeah. cool. Awesome. My money is still on that they're going to have a Dungeons and Dragons theme wedding. I'm into they it. That's the goal. You know, that's why <laughs> I buy him all no. these swords. <laughs> yeah, they're saying no, but they're, I just, I just, I know it's going to happen. I have a friend who had a Lego wedding, so anything can happen. Interesting. That's pretty cool. All right. Well, Sadie, thank you very much for letting us get to know you a little bit better. Let's say we get started now. Are we ready, everyone? Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Hello, love. It's time for our first topic is... So, Mark, 
and Sadie, and really the rest of the world, we all saw the tragic injury to Bill's safety, Damar Hamlin, on this previous Monday Night Football. And for me, at least, this brings a lot of questions to uh, the front of mind regarding NFL rules, about hits, about the wearing of so much armor, and many other things. And um, I knew that we needed to talk to Demar when I was writing about Demar when I was writing these questions. Um, actually, to incre- you know, to continue on the story, uh, he actually woke up from his coma today. So from Monday until um, this morning, he was on a ventilator. He couldn't breathe on his own. And the sadness of this story is really, um, he's not. He wasn't sick. The hit wasn't uh, dirty. He just got hit in such a way at such a time. I, I watched a video on this. A cardiologist was talking about watching the EKG, and he pointed out the one millisecond that he needed to be hit with the force that he was hit to cause his heart to stop. And so he had a cardiac arrest. He had to be resuscitated twice on the field. What's really interesting about this story is the world really Um, Because this kid was a really nice kid, brand new in the NFL, brand new to start, and um, they really rallied around him. Um, So he was starting a toy drive first year in the NFL, and his goal was $2,500 since Monday. He's made $6 million on his Kickstarter. So a multi-part question for you both. First, what do we think about the violence in the NFL, the concussions this year, and all the major injuries that we've received? And on top of that, why is Demar Hamlin such an interesting story? So, this obviously was a huge part of not only the sports news cycle, but the news cycle in in general in, in the world. This was, I think, of a human interest piece. It turned into uh, his foundation. Uh, what it's called, Toys for M, I believe. The, lots of great stories. The the goal of that he had a very. Uh, he, he he had a goal set for a modest goal set for twenty five hundred, I believe, and it's uh, as of today it was over seven million dollars. Uh, so some people just wanted to be able to show their support one way or another. I saw an interesting uh, note on that. Um, a furniture shop from Buffalo outbid or out contributed the Washington uh, the Washington Commanders <laughs> by five hundred dollars. Uh. But and and something else I want to I want to mention too, I think that the NFL is actually very fortunate that, with the fact that the two franchises that were involved were the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals because I believe that the coaching staff and the medical staff for the Bills and the Bengals handled everything almost perfectly. It was amazing. It was amazing that. He, I mean, for the amount, for the amount of people that were surrounding him, for the position that he was in, in the middle of a football field, in the middle of the evening, I mean, it's amazing he survived. Amazing. So they should really be congratulated. Absolutely, and and the doctors that uh, that were part of the the press conference today uh, after uh, announcing that they, he had been awake and he was able to move his extremities and he was able to communicate non-verbally uh did say that the response time of all of this uh the people that were at the game was phenomenal and key to to his survival did you see his first question was did we win yes yes amazing that kid is my hero i mean the, the entire the entire thing the fact that it it just seemed like it was a very family oriented uh for the bills i was just immensely impressed with Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, and Zach Taylor, the head coach of 
the Bengals as well, not just as head coaches, but as just human beings. Because again, I, I feel Sean McDermott's very first thing, or one of the very first things I think he said to Zach Taylor was, I can't be here. I have to go to the hospital to, to see how DeMar's doing. So, um, and then a lot of people from the game ended up creating a vigil at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Yeah, that was really awesome. I'm not 100% sure other cities would have done that. I don't think I don't think uh, the Patriots fan base would have done something like that for the Bills. I, I, maybe they would have, but I, I think uh, it, just, it just seemed very perfect the, the way that it, it turned out. I actually did see something on Twitter. It was a Dolphins fan that was responding to a Buffalo Bills tweet about DeMar Hamlin, and they said, well, this is why the Bills haven't won a championship. And the entire time I was thinking, it's like, what is well, going on Well, right that now? dude sucks. Oh, my God. Um, you know, looking for clickbait. and What is really interesting, well, interesting is not the correct word, but I think it also helps that neither of these teams really need this game. Yeah. I mean, I, it's an I, AFC I championship so. preview for sure in my mind. Um, to get it in the regular season, I don't think it really matters. And I don't see them playing it either because they can't play it this week and they shouldn't play it next week. So then we have to get into playoffs. So I don't think they will play it. Uh, I think they actually officially, just before we started this, said that they're not making up the game. It's been officially canceled. Do they get a tie for it? I don't believe so. I think it's just not going to count in the standings. Although a tie would count just as much as not count, counting the game. Sadie, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I mean, as somebody that doesn't religiously watch football, as somebody, you know, from the outside, um, I have to really give props to, you know, again, the trainers, the first responders there that really kind of saved uh Demar's life. Nowadays, you know, even from like high school coaching standpoint, you know, college coaching standpoint and everything, there is definitely more and more, you know, awareness of the mental aspects of the game. All of these protocols that we have in place for like concussions for these like cardiac arrest moments and everything like that. Um, and it's so very important to have these fast responses. You know, I believe the name of the person being credited for DeMar, saving DeMar Hamlin's life, uh, Denny Kellington, um, he mm-hmm. was able to really fast and really effectively, you know, do that CPR for him that, you know, now he's able to squeeze his hand. He's able to, you know, be responsive here, ask those questions, you know. And well, it's it, amazing. They're saying no neurological effects. And even though he can't talk yet, I mean, he was intubated for three days. So I exactly. think he's going to make a recovery, mm-hmm. which is amazing. I don't know if he plays football again. It's his career. And he's young, so he has not made enough money yet, but I don't think I could. Yeah, no, he, I'm hoping that he is able to make that fast recovery, but he might have a long road ahead of him, but he is alive and he doesn't have as many neurological setbacks as he might have had those, you know, initial athletic trainers. The dichotomy of the season is so weird for me because the difference between his injury obviously more serious than to his injuries but now to Tagliovola has three concussions and in the need to be a you know a generationally wealthy starting quarterback in the NFL which is what the next contract gets him he's still he's still playing he's still playing with kind of a terrible offensive line he's still going to get hit a ton mm-hmm. and he seems to be concussion prone and everything that we know about uh, TBIs and concussions in the NFL makes you think 
you got to run, bud. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the scary part of it, you know, because as we, you know, as, you know, technology advances, we learn more and more about, you know, these effects, these injuries and what, you know, repeated injuries can cause, you know, it's going to have lasting effects on these players. It makes you think too about, you know, younger players playing this sport as well. They look to these, you know, players in the NFL that just keep getting hit over and over and over again. And really, as far as I, I know, you know, from the outside, you don't really hear a lot of talk, a lot of pressure being put on these safety measures to stop that from happening, you know? It's, well, they're it's, products, right? And yes. They're products to sell tickets, and that's mm-hmm. really unfortunate. Yeah, which, you know, going back to Mark's point about how really heartwarming this was, they both, both teams put aside the fact that they are, you know, they're to sell tickets, they're to sell, make money, you know, all of that stuff. They're to play like a national game on television. And for them to put that aside, be like, we're not playing this, you know, we are both here together, you know, for DeMar. Um, it's really kind That's of That's what Joe Burrow said. He said, we will mm-hmm. do literally whatever the Bills want. Mm-hmm. Next topic it is. So I'd like to follow up on a topic we discussed last episode. We had mentioned about American dominance in tennis with players like Andre Agassi, Pete Sampras, and Serena Williams. Currently, there are four American women ranked in the top 25, with the highest being Jessica Pagula at number three, and two American men ranked in the top 25, with the highest being Taylor Fritz at number nine. So John and Sadie, who might be the next American to win a tennis major... And could that person bring dominance back to this country? So I am going to pull a Netflix on you guys, and I'm (laughs) going to ask Sadie her opinion, because I don't know. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So I am very biased, because Mark had mentioned this before. Um, I was there with him when we saw Francis Tiafo playing at the U.S. Open. He is, you know, 19 right now. He's not terribly high up there, but he had a fantastic showing in that tournament. We talked about him at the last episode, and I, I, I mentioned how infectious how infectious and how um, kind of a crowd favorite he was, which I think is really important for tennis. All those names that we brought up before are names of people who were very charismatic. And he's a a tennis player with personality. And not only that, but he is a tennis player with a story too. You know, I I don't know if you know his background, but his parents uh, immigrated here. Uh, His dad worked on the construction of a tennis academy, eventually worked as a janitor there. And uh, Tiafo was able with his twin brother to take lessons there, you know, and eventually, you know, they got found by a coach who really admired, you know, his work ethic. That's a good story to sell too. you know, as you're coming up here, you know, you're rooting for him. You want to root for him. And then he goes out there. The American um, comeback story. Everybody loves that. Especially. Americans love Mm -hmm. poor immigrant families. That's great. That's that's a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's like we were saying, he's got the personality out there. He's got the flair. You know, he was playing a fantastic match. All of the matches that we saw, even, you know, uh, televised, they were absolutely phenomenal, you know, and he lost to Carlos Alcaraz, but Alcaraz is fantastic too, you know? So I definitely, I think that he's one of the ones to keep our eye on, definitely. But do you think he can win a major? I think so. Yeah? Yeah, Because like like you said, Carlos Alcaraz is the up-and-comer 
right now. He's, he, and he is currently ranked number one in, in the entire world. And they're all saying how he is going to be the next Nadal because he's phenomenal on clay. Uh, he seems to do very well in other surfaces as well. I mean, he did pretty well at the at the this past U.S. Open. Uh, we'll see how he's going to do at the Australian Open later this month. Why do um, Americans care less about tennis than other international sports like soccer or golf? I think that it's just really a lack of for lack of a better word, marketing, I guess. I mean, I think I would agree with that. That's my problem. I don't see tennis. This past year, uh, ESPN definitely was televising more of the tennis. Uh, there was a lot more engagement. Um, but still, if you go down to like, you know, the high school levels, the college levels, I've coached teams that have been, you know, undefeated the entire season. And then it's time for basketball. Their team is like four and 10, but all you hear is about basketball, you know, like you coach high school tennis. Uh, I did coach high school tennis, uh, for quite a number of years. I coached college tennis as well, uh, for probably about five years. Um, and our, our team at college was undefeated. Like five years, we got five championship rings. We went to the national tournament all of those years. We, always, you know, got recognition. We always got applause, but it was always, you know, at the tail end of other sports. And that's kind of, you know, a theme as you go through like the different stages of tennis. It's not marketed as much as other sports. So this is what I I actually think about that. Uh, I think tennis needs its own version of Tiger Woods. And I think Francis Tiafo could be that that person because he is someone that's very likable. And if he became dominant, then that's what people would would talk about. People would want to be Francis Tiafo. Because that's that's what happened with Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods people wanted to be Tiger Woods. They wanted to dress like Tiger Woods. They wanted to play like Tiger Woods. Is that Woods. why we cared in the nineties for the Sampras's and the Agassiz and the and the McEnroe's. I, th- I think back in the 90s, golf and tennis were probably on the same level with regards to a fan base. Neither of them really had taken off. I think they were kind of mid-level sports. Uh, I certainly remember it being more televised when I was younger. But th- there were a lot of good Americans at the time. And and yeah, yeah and SportsCenter would always, always have, you know, this is what Agassi and Sampras did um, in their... Uh, in the tournament that they played in Italy, the, some random tournament or something. Um, the Sports Center does not do that anymore. They do a lot more soccer highlights. Did you guys see that Martina Navratilova has a cancer diagnosis? Yeah, I saw it's that. It's unfortunate. Very, very unfortunate. And she, she's a lot younger than I thought she was. Yeah, me too. I was surprised. In my deep dive for articles, I, I came across it. She, she's one of those immortal figures, though. Like I didn't think Martina was ever going to die. Like this she's true. just, she's just, she's, she's, she's up there in the, in the tennis world for me. Um, she's so, another yeah, name I know way past time. Um, <laughs> another so, name I know you guys. So Sadie, do you think, so you think Tiafa will be the next American to win a major? You think? I can't say next. Um, because there is Fritz who's an obviously fantastic player. You know, he is number nine. He's ranked higher. Um, so it could be him. Could be Tiafo. I think it's um, going to be Coco Goff personally. You think Coco Goff? Yeah, I mean, she's 18, and she just she keeps going up the, the rankings. Mm-hmm, it's true. She's, I just think, I think like Coco Goff needs a little bit more mental fortitude yes. before she does that. Because she's, um, she's, 
she is 18, you know, and she's super skilled. Like, I think she has a fantastic career ahead of her. But you can see in her body language when she's on the court, you can see when she's down and you can see when, you know, that kind of, you know, mental declines happening. One of the things that I really appreciate about, you know, either Djokovic or, you know, Schwantek's games are they, you know, they're mental games. They're strong. They're always on the same level. Yes. Yeah. Shriantek has an actual like mental coach for her to help her through those, you know, and you see in their career. So how do you explain Curios? Curios? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Completely different story. I have no idea. (laughs) But um, as far as, you know, next person to win um, and, you know, I was speaking mainly on the male side there um either one of those two and i think that you know now is the time to do it because after the pandemic you had a really big increase in tennis participation there's a lot of new players playing you know there's a little bit of a fervor right now at least as far as i can tell you know working at a tennis club we have a ton of need for beginner class people are looking to start playing people are playing we've got record amounts of teams joining usk leagues and stuff so if they're going to make a move and like get popularity like now is the time to now do is that. the time yes anybody want a next topic so as this episode has been mostly about my lack of tennis knowledge i figured i'd come up with a tennis question novak djokovic which you just mentioned is set to miss the indian wells in miami open at the u.s as the u.s extends its requirements for international visitor to be vaccinated against covid19 uh, former world number one djokovic is currently in australia this is 12 months after he was apparently deported um, from the country before australia opened its vaccination statuses so guys is djokovic's refusal to be vaccinated affecting his tennis season and will the increase in vaccination rules in the U.S. do the same to other international stars that choose to do the same? I lost a lot of respect for for Joker with uh, last year's Australian Open. That's that's fine that you're an anti-vaxxer, but don't don't try to fake it and try to get away with not following the rules. I I, I don't know. I, I I I lost a lot of respect and admiration for him when when he tried to get get into the country so, pretty much illegally. And try to try to fudge the numbers. I, I unfortunately know a lot of people that have done that. They they've forged cards or, or done something just to say that they're vaccinated when when they're really not. And I I don't get why you would do that. Um, if 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 you don't believe in the vaccine, that's great. Just but you know you have to live with. I think that the consequence of of, of that as well. He he's he's definitely going to be playing in this year's Australian Open. Uh, he is. Ooh, I can't remember off the top of my head now. Uh, he's got twenty majors in, currently. He's, uh, I mean, he's he's in line potentially to have the most majors for a um, a single men's men's player. Uh, I believe he's two behind Nadal. I could be wrong about that. He's either two or he's one behind Nadal. I mean, if he gets that record. He's definitely going to be in there, if, you know, the greatest of all time. Missing these American Grand Slams, and again, I don't know anything, but I read that it's going to cost him 2,000 ranking points. And these guys are staging points to the Summer Grand Slams, which um, he did lose to Nadal last year. And some say that that was because he didn't get this practice. And the, the Australian Open is, is his tournament in a lot of respects. I mean, I, he's won it like nine or ten times. It's it's actually kind of amazing how many times he's he's won <laughs> Australia. Uh, he he I mean he definitely needs as many chances as he can because he is up there. He's in his uh, he, he's thirty seven I believe. He's 
it's, that's old for tennis. Uh, he's still younger than you and I, John, but he's, that's old in the tennis world. I can play tennis. My ankles are broken. I know. Say, do you still want me to be your, your tennis partner? Because I'm, I'm very old in, in the nah, tennis. No, you're in better tennis. shape than I am, though. Mark, you were making such good progress. We're going to continue that. And we're he has a really good formidable. coach. I, I, I did hear that. I, I heard that coach. somewhere. <laughs> Sadie, what are but your yeah, thoughts on Joker? To uh, to go back to uh, you, the point you're making, um, Djokovic has 21 Grand Slams, um, and Nadal does have 22. Um, so him not attending, you know, Indian Wells, Miami Open, that is, you know, a couple thousand ranking points that he's missing out on. Um, now, if that's any precedent to set for the U.S. Open. That tournament, if he misses that, that's another 2,000 points that he could potentially miss out on. So this choice, you know, not to vaccinate, it's, you know, probably going to cost him that number one spot. At this world. point, he doesn't care about points, though. He wants, no, he wants no. trophies. Yeah, but that makes it all the more important for him to put his best foot forward. Has he for won the Open? I assume he has. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um because, I mean, he is one behind Nadal. If he doesn't take the Australian, which, I mean, he probably will. But if he doesn't, that puts him down two from Nadal. And then if he doesn't attend the U.S. Open, that's one less chance for him. So the pressure's on him, really, to win the Australian. But I have no doubt that he's going to do it. Like, his Australian Open showing has been absolutely fantastic. When are we going to Australia? Hell Yeah. As soon as I recover my finances from this past summer. And did. Christmas. All right, here's the 2040. Yes. <laughs> a lot of traveling, a lot of presents. <laughs> I like that. Uh, next topic. So currently, we have NFL football regularly on Sundays, Mondays, and Thursdays. When the college football season dwindles down, we also get games on Saturdays. Now, next year, the NFL plans on having a game on Black Friday in an effort to bring in more revenue and possibly expand to more Fridays in later seasons. So, John and Sadie, what are your thoughts on additional days of NFL football? I mean, we talked about this already, right? We talked about maybe the NFL going to Europe. The NFL money machine is alive and very, very well. I don't mind more games. I don't necessarily watch them all, but I definitely watch the ones I like. I definitely watch the ones that are kind of pertinent on my fantasy football games or have them in the background when I'm doing something else. Recorded many a podcast with Thursday Night Football going. I looked if it was on tonight. but Yeah, I that's the it thing. It's pr- they've programmed me to think now that there's a game every Thursday and there's not a game tonight. Right, and there's not a game tonight. I think that they can continue to add games until people stop watching them. Honestly, so many the games. Black Friday. The Black Friday idea is probably pretty good too, because I feel like you know there's going to be a lot of people out shopping, you know, and there will probably be a lot of women out shopping that day. Uh, so all the bros can get together and watch some football on that day. I think that's a good idea for them. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, there are a lot of really good picture opportunities from Thanksgiving games where the quarterbacks are eating their Thanksgiving, their turkey legs after winning their games. I mean, it's awesome. I love how you said all the bros. All the bros. Because, the bros, you know, they, they don't spend enough time in front, uh, in front of the TV with p- watching football and drinking beer hey, another chance for them another chance for them to watch stay out of your hair that's what my wife like she's like go do your things i'm gonna read my book mm-hmm. and i'm like yup yar what I'm is it that- crocheting so i'll do that while you guys watch football nice. together. <laughs> mel picked up cross stitch this year 
Ooh, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So what? So it's slated for for a three o'clock afternoon kickoff. So does everyone remember what they were doing at three p.m. on Bla- this year's or this last year's Black Friday? Were Were you shopping? I was not shopping. You were not. Shopping. I wasn't shopping. I don't really shop in stores anymore. Yeah. What's What's the point? That's what it the internet seems was for, like right? a lot of extra work. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if I'm being honest, I was probably sleeping because I wake up so early every single day to do early morning tennis lessons. And Black Friday, I was like, I'm going to sleep in until I can't sleep anymore. Hell yeah. I can't sleep anymore. My body's broken. Seven o'clock every day. Don't matter what. No matter when I go to bed. No matter when I... No matter if it's Saturday or it's Christmas, yeah. every day. We used to be able to sleep in, though, right? When we were in college. Well, I remember the joy of 18-year-old John when he realized that he could schedule all his classes after 10 a.m. That was my favorite semester. Oh, Jesus Christ. That was so great. We were regularly up at like 2, 3 a.m. Yep. Just because oh. we could and because we didn't well, have yeah, to Well, yeah, you really just transition and- your day, right? 14 to 16 hours, no matter where you put it. That was my best semester, by the way. That semester where we, where we all did that, we we didn't schedule a class before 10 a.m. Yeah. And we just stayed up. As, None as, as of my semesters could. were good. That was... T- <laughs> I discovered beer. Mel moved up. It was just all downhill from there. Beer is good. That's true. That's true. Next topic. So Microsoft could soon get a return on its $1 billion investment in OpenAI. Uh, For those who don't know, OpenAI is the creator of the ChatGPT chatbot. And for those who don't know, ChatGPT is a long-form question-answering AI that answers complex questions conversationally. Uh, So Microsoft is preparing to launch a version of its Bing search engine that uses the artificial intelligence to answer search questions rather than just showing links. It's also adding Dolly, which is a AI-generated art program, into Bing in later um, releases. So Mark, Sadie, are you guys ready for our robot overlords? And more seriously, do you think we'll reach a point where AIs will be a regular part of our existence? We're absolutely going to reach that. I mean, the, the robots are pretty much already taking over now, aren't they? Just because, I mean, I have, an, I have, I think, I pretty much have an Alexa in every room that I, I have I definitely right have an Alexa in every room. And so, I mean, Alexa, I, say hello. Hi there. Alexa, not, uh, Amazon, also not a sponsor. That's got to be part of the drinking game, by the way. Every time we say not a sponsor. <laughs> I love it so, so much. That is so funny. But Alexa is always listening. I mean, I have, a, I have an iPhone. Apple, also not a sponsor. Uh, Siri is always listening. John, I know you have an Android, and it's your the phone is always listening. I've actually wanted to actually do a an experiment about how how long it would take for me, or how I've done long those it experiments. takes. It makes it's creepy as hell. You you know what I'm getting at? Like oh, you yeah, search no, something cre- on your phone, and how long it takes for like Alexa. Forget to, that. You have a conversation with people in your house about mm. something, and then your Alexa is like, "Hey, you guys want to go to Louisiana?" You're like, "Shut the fuck! Shut the front door, Alexa." Actually, I I was talking. I have a a friend that was starting uh, a new a small business uh, uh, selling coffee, and I was telling them about an app. Uh, I forget what it's called now. I think it's called Trade or or something like that. And he literally showed me ten seconds later how there was a Facebook <laughs> ad about the app I was talking about. Amazing. I mean, you know what? And I say this to everybody who is a little bit of a privacy phobe. I knowing what my phone can do and knowing what is done regularly in the technology world, I am not under the impression that people aren't listening to me and I'm not a drug dealer and I'm not running for office. I don't really have anything to hide. And so 
directed ads for things that I really like on my Instagram? Sure. You know, Google reading my email so and tells me when to leave for the airport. That's great. Keep telling me what to do. I'm okay with that. I, I, I will say this because I know that everything is listening. I do like to mix it up every now and again and just say random words or random thoughts <laughs> and, and see what happens. Although I've gotten some very interesting ads by doing that. Oh, no. Oh, no. Sadie, what do you think? You said that there's an AI for art generation. And, yeah, do- uh, it's called Dolly. Like Dolly, yes. Mm-hmm. So I've actually, you know, been a little skeptical about that just because I've read and I've heard things about AIs like that taking other people's artwork and using, you know, that kind of artwork as like a big database that they pull from and everything. I mean, that definitely happens. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's something that I get really nervous about, you know, as AI improves and everything, because I don't want, you know, artists to lose the credit for their work. You know, I I want them to to step on that, too. um, Yeah. There is concern now for content creators and for uh, marketing copywriters that a marketing team for a major company can ask its AI that it's now paid for that is paid. It can say, hey, write us copy for these seven questions. And not only is the copy good, it's fast Mm -hmm. and it's different every time. And so you have these people with these jobs that are becoming sort of unnecessary. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's definitely one one good thing about automation, and but also one bad thing. Like it's it's a lot more efficient, but it definitely gets rid of jobs that humans are doing. Right. One of my favorite things on the internet is when people feed scripts of ridiculous things into their AIs. And so one was they fed Hallmark movies into an AI and then asked it to write a script. If anybody hasn't looked this up, do it. It's hilarious. Oh my gosh, those are so funny. So, so funny. So funny. So this one, Christmas for Christmas, and it's like, my son is dead. He is bones. You are Hallmark <laughs> hot. It was so funny. It just made me laugh and laugh and laugh. We had uh, something, we, there was a presentation at, at my company and they actually showed, they showed the AI, but they also showed like like a like a humanoid that was like saying the script. It was trying to tell a joke. It was the, the person that did it was, was like uh, notorious for those God awful dad jokes. Uh, but it, it, and it said it with like, like it was very even tone, like, I, I I wish I could do uh, I could do a dad joke right now, but that's that's how it would deliver. Do you guys have thoughts on the philosophical implications of artificial intelligence? Like there was a story last year now where a Google engineer who worked on their AI division filed human rights complaints against the company because they thought they were mistreating the AI because it thought it was sentient. Ooh. And this guy probably was crazy, but the question still remains that if you have an AI and it you know. Maybe it isn't actually thinking, but maybe it seems like it's thinking, is it? And if it is, what do you do with it? Well, I think that right there is kind of a slippery slope because, you know, you see these videos online of like these AI bots and they're actual bots and everything. And you can tell that they're robots, but like they are, you can see them thinking, they're responding, you know, they're acting in like a human manner. And so, you know, you have to think too, as they get more developed, as they become more and more human-like, as they start responding like more and more like a human, you know, when are we going to be able to say, you know, oh, this is a robot, this is a human, so we can treat the robot like trash, but, you know, does it transition over to the humans, you know? Are we going to start being dehumanized by treating these robots, you know, as 
less than, even though they look exactly like us, talk exactly like us. Well, on top of that, in a world where a, and let's, let's go full science fiction, right? Mm. In a world where we have created a robot. Oh, you can just say it in, like a, in the movie voice, like, in a world. In a world. <laughs> I have the microphone now. So, no, seriously, though, when we have a android that looks human and acts human, even though we know that it's not human, it doesn't. So if it doesn't, what do we do with its rights? That's right? such a hard question to answer. <laughs> I mean, what do we do? Because we know it's not human, but it doesn't. So is it? Um, they say a very interesting thing in the first two seasons of Westworld. If you can't tell, does it matter? Yeah, that's a very interesting thought. I don't know if we're going to solve that on this podcast. We are not. But have, I like you guys, have you guys played the game uh, Detroit Become Human? Because they literally like ask the same exact question. No, that sounds awesome though. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a really good game about like you you basically are an AI person in like a human world. It, I recommend it. Just Is that like a PC side. game or? A... Uh, it's a PlayStation Four. Oh. I believe I played it on. Hey, Mark, um, Westworld's not on Netflix. Okay, I actually have seen Westworld. <laughs> At least the first season. <laughs> Sorry, drink. Yeah, I know. Drink. Next topic. So last weekend, we saw Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings get completely demolished and manhandled by Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Cousin has an awful reputation for not being a, quote, big game, unquote, quarterback, and always on the losing effort, unlike those like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, despite the fact that Cousin is actually having a pretty good season statistically and has come up with some pretty big performances this season, with their team having the second best record in the NFC thus far. So, John, and I'm actually very interested in hearing this from Sadie's from a facing her opponent, a one-on-one perspective. Do you think a player's uh, reputation can completely incapacitate their ability to play because it's such a huge mental stumbling block? And Sadie, from your perspective, I kind of want to see the reputation, especially someone like you, a reputation of yours, just gets in your opponent's head so much that they just can't do anything. See, I don't think that's why they lost that game, though. I think that Kirk Cousins never been a AAA quarterback. Uh, even though he is surrounded by tools, he still finds ways to lose this year. Um, in the beginning of the season, Justin Jefferson looked unstoppable, and he looks human again. I think it was Traymond Williams on the Green Bay Packers who totally and completely got into Justin Jefferson's head this yes. weekend. Uh, it was uh, Jair Alexander, actually. Jair Alexander. I mean, he hit a referee with his helmet. He did. Not he intentionally. Did. Not intentionally, but yes, but, he did. He did. And I think getting into Jefferson's head almost had to be in their game plan um, because without Justin Jefferson in a season of the NFL that's notoriously pass heavy with a non-triple quarterback, I mean, the the Vikings looked really human. Vikings did look pretty human. I I think what has not helped Kirk Cousins recently, too, I I looked this up. He's been sacked 46 times this year, which is 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 up there i mean that's about three a game and if you don't have a very good offensive line and you don't necessarily have the confidence being able to to throw behind them um you you make some silly mistakes and he's i believe he has 14 interceptions this year which is a lot he didn't have as many as uh last year i think he only had seven all of all of last year but that certainly has something to do with it too but uh i actually do think that's it's in his, it's in his head uh you you get to a certain point you hear it from the media, you know, like people who do a podcast and say that you suck. You hear so many times that you just can't get it out of your head and it just becomes 
it becomes such a, a mental block. I don't know. Sadie, do you think you've ever experienced that, especially in in your matches that you faced, uh, uh, some of the opponents that you faced in your matches? Oh, absolutely. You know, going back to that mental fortitude that we had been talking about earlier, you know, it's so important to try and find that balance because, you know, whether it's people saying that you are less than, you are worthy, you won't be able to beat this person, or even if it's you yourself thinking this person is so much better than me, how do I overcome this? It's tough. Like just speaking from, you know, recent experience, we went to the national tournament for USDA. I ended up playing singles. My very first match out there, so embarrassing. I lost, what was it, like three games in a row and I didn't Mm -hmm. hit a ball in the court the entire time. It was so embarrassing. I looked so awful because I was thinking, I was in my own head thinking, I am not fit for this. I'm nervous. The pressure's getting to me. I'm in Arizona playing some of the best players there are in USTA. And it's really a challenge overcoming that. And it translates to all levels of play here, even on national football, national basketball, whatever, they get talked about a lot. And that stuff can really get in your head unless you're really kind of finding that balance. And you did come back to, to beat her in, in the end. And and I actually do, th- I think this, the the next opponent you guys face was, was a team from Florida. They had some nefarious means of playing. And I actually think Potentially, that was because of the reputation of the New England women, because mm-hmm. you guys did have a pretty good reputation of being a very good team. So it's it's because it it's I, it seems very coincidental, too coincidental that multiple teams that uh, I'm sorry, multiple players on that team seem to have a very similar strategy of trying to bend the rules. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know if they did that against other teams, but they definitely did that against the New England team. And it's potentially because, well, this is the way that we think we can win. Yes. But the good thing about that is that, you know, we were able to call the line judges there, have those line judges come over and kind of, you know, keep them honest there. But, you know, there might be something to that. You know, sometimes you got to pull out all the stops to beat somebody. I would never, you know, go that route. But, you know, other people might. There's definitely coaches that do that. And like I said, I think that the strategy of getting into Justin Jefferson's head this past weekend was a true one because it seemed really obvious. I think it worked. I think it did. I think it worked. He looked terrible. He didn't score a touchdown. He got under 100 yards. I mean, that's incredibly low for him this season. Next topic. To keep on uh, team sports and one-on-one performances, uh, Mark, uh, Dallas Mavericks star point guard Luka Doncic has just been tearing up the NBA this season, averaging 34.3 points, 8.8 rebounds, and 8.9 assists. At 6'7", and I was amazed, I looked this up twice, 6'7", 230 pounds, the league has generally agreed that Luka is a nightmare to cover. With huge 50-plus point games coming at a record pace and Doncic recording his the first ever 60-point, 20-rebound, triple-double, Mark, why is the NBA seeing an unprecedented scoring boom? And can Luka Doncic be stopped? So there's a lot of offense in the NBA because there's no defense in the NBA anymore. And the NBA right now, I think, is going through a huge offensive resurgence, like a lot like the NFL did a few years ago. Because again, they've almost, they've pretty much just taken defense out. It's it's becoming a giant all-star game every single time. And uh, I mean, Luka Doncic is, is amazing, but he kind of has to be because he's really the only person that's uh, of any good on the Mavericks. 
they have tried with other players. They they tried uh, Christoph Porzingis for a few years. Uh, you you remember him being a Knicks fan, the unicorn? Yep, true story. He he has to essentially do it himself, and that's the way that the NBA goes right now. You you need two to three big stars in order to to do well in the NBA now. Uh, and it's it's not just him. I mean, Giannis, he also recently had uh, a big 50-point game as well. Uh, Donovan from the Cavaliers had a 70-point game, 71 points. They had him tested for peds on the spot. The whole team got tested for, for performance-enhancing drugs. Right yeah. on the spot. They're like, all right, guys, that's a lot. You should stop. But do I do I think any of those teams are, are going to be contenders to win a championship that's how i usually gr- judge and grade uh players is is how well of a t- uh of a team that they they are on with the exception of the bucks uh i don't i mean i don't think luka Doncic is going to make it very far uh it just he, he's been having a lot of great games but then again everyone's had a lot of great games they've how is he a point guard mark because well, he is the most skilled and he's uh magic johnson was a point guard magic johnson was six foot nine. Oh. And he, yeah, he was a point guard too. I mean, he's a uh, Luca is a lot like Magic Johnson was. He only plays he's a much like better Magic. Shooter. Lots he's, of lots of hooks. Lots of lots of posting. Well, I mean, being a six seven point guard, and I actually thought he was taller than, than six seven, but uh, he he can he's facing a lot of guys that are like six feet or six four at at most. So you can uh, that you can do that. Uh, against against those players. Yeah, he, after that triple double, he said it's easy to score in the NBA. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's Luca is is amazing. I but um, he he needs he needs like another really good player in order to do well. And I'm sorry, win a championship uh, in the NBA. I think. Who do you like for uh, the NBA Finals this year? That's that's a great. I mean, listen, I I'm a Boston sports fan. I love the Celtics. The Celtics. Are just look amazing on paper, and they they look amazing when you watch them in person as well. They're they have two phenomenal superstars, and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, uh, and they have a great core. Uh, I'm sorry, they ha- they have a great uh, lineup around. I like them Jason as well. Tatum a lot. Yeah. Um, oh, when 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 Danny Ainge made all those moves to to draft him, I was like, yes. He's going to be a phenomenal superstar. Uh, I didn't realize he was going to keep growing because I think he's almost like seven feet now, <laughs> and I th- he's he's still very young. I think he's twenty one or twenty two. So they they have the chance to to really do well, and they they did a lot of they did a pretty good job this year of getting role players to essentially just shoot threes um, around Jalen and, and Tatum when they're driving to the basket and they just want to dish it off to people. Do you think the Lakers need to make some moves to try to win before they age out? The Lakers need to just totally rebuild. LeBron yeah. is not LeBron anymore. While he's still phenomenal and uh, AD, Anthony Davis, is he's just, he's like he's like Tua Tagovailoa. He's just always going to get hurt. He's, he's having an okay year when he's not broken. Next topic. So the movie Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves, is set to come out at the end of March. It has a pretty stacked cast, including Chris Pine from the Star Trek series, Michelle Rodriguez from the Fast and the Furious franchises, Reggie Jean Page from Bridgerton, and Hugh Grant. Its directors are John Francis Daly, who I'd immediately recognize while researching this as the trainee from the movie Waiting with Ryan Reynolds, and Jonathan Goldstein. 
Both have had previous success with writing and or directing movies like Horrible Bosses and Spider-Man Homecoming. So, John and Sadie, on a topic that I probably won't be able to contribute to too much, what are your thoughts on the upcoming D&D movie? So I got to tell you, I am really, really excited about this movie. And I am because the, origi- the first couple of D&D movies were very bad. And I think that as far as what it needed to be is it needed to be kind of a heist movie and it needed to feel like Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think it does. And so the D&D nerd in me also is very, very excited for an actual setting. It's in Forgotten Realms, an actual place that people who enjoy D&D can recognize. It's on the Sword Coast. I see spells that I know. I see creatures that I know. I don't know if Sadie caught the owlbear. There's an owlbear. Mm-hmm. And um, I really think it's going to be great. I mean, he dives into a gelatinous cube. How can you beat that? I have to say I'm super excited for it, too. Um, when I first saw the trailer, I immediately was very excited because the dragons, I love dragons, and the dragon breath is actually, like, the right things. Like, you know, they just don't, they don't just breathe fire, you know, they breathe acid, they breathe cold, like all this stuff. And, you know, we get to see that in the movie, which is going to be phenomenal. Yeah, there was Um, at least three or four different types of dragons in the trailer. And the black dragon breathing acid right in the beginning was just so excellent. Mm-hmm. And it's scary, too. If you look at that, you know, the poster that they released for it, you know, it's like you see the dragon on there. It's like, I I don't want to face that thing. That's very <laughs> scary. <laughs> but, you know, like you said, there's, you know, the owlbear, gelatinous cube, there's the mimic. Like, it's it's pretty exciting. That and they're like, well, what do you that. do? Well, well, I make the plans. Well, mm-hmm. what if the plan fails? I make a new plan. But your plan failed. And just, I love that the main character is the bard. And so, Mark, bards are notoriously troublemakers and notoriously kind of either really useful or really useless, but mostly really useless. Mm-hmm. Coming from somebody that plays a bard more often than not, <laughs> I am so excited for Chris Pine to play this part. It's going to be so much fun. And, you know, you are very right. Sometimes, most times, I am very useless, but sometimes I'm very useful. Well, to speak about <laughs> bards, did you and Pat watch uh, The Legends of Vox, Vox Machina on Prime? Uh, Pat did. I started to watch it. I no, It's incredibly inappropriate. Yes, I I thought that it was, you know, a little too much for me. Like, you come straight out and, you know, they it's just, you know, sexual innuendo over and over and over again. And I'm like, ah, and over, and over, you know, again. it's, yeah. Well, I, I bring like, it up eh. because there is a halfling, no, he's a gnome. There's a gnome bard who's one of the main characters who is very sexually promiscuous. Mm-hmm. And so... The thing about the gnome bard, though, is he's hilarious, just constantly, constantly funny, constantly mm-hmm. just ridiculous things happening on screen and happening, we were talking about my character before, happening to just make his way out of a problem with the sheer, you know, mm-hmm. you know, charm of his smile and force of his will and any real skill or anything, just like, oh, yep, I survived, look at me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? This this might be going a little too nerdy, but in one of our no campaigns that we thing. run. <laughs> in Not one on of this our podcast. Campaign, yeah, yeah. In one of our campaigns that we run, uh, Pat actually DMs it, and I play a gnome uh, artificer. and But I play it kind of like a bard, honestly. Um, and Can you explain like a very thousand foot level artificer for the people who don't know? 
Oh, yeah. So Artificer, very mechanically inclined, very inventive. Um, I played an artillerist, so I was able to craft my own basically magical cannon that I would use in combat, Um, basically like a half caster. So I'd have spells, but I'd also be able to do a lot of like melee damage. Um, And I my character is pretty strong, Um, but Patrick made the mistake of giving me a magic item that gave me advantage on charisma checks. So persuasion, like all of those kinds of things that like you were saying, like uh, in Vox Machina, that guy, he just happened to make his way out of things. He was funny. He was charismatic. So I ended up being more of a bard than an actual artillerist, which Patrick hates because my character was very much not a good character. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think um, to, to lay on D&D for a little while, I think combat is, a, because mainly the rules of D&D are based around combat. And But mm-hmm. if you play a campaign that is very combat driven, it's a little boring. Mm, mm. The role-playing is very fun. Right. Well, and the skill-based role-playing. So you have a guy who is good at, you know, singing and lying, and you use your singing and your lying to, you know, achieve your goals instead of your sword, right? Mm -hmm. I like that very much. Yeah. I will say that I did watch the trailer in doing research for this topic, and watching Chris Pine... It it made me now not being a big D and D fan. Uh, listening to Chris Pine kind of made me think that I was listening to James T. Kirk a little bit, and and watching Michelle Rodriguez kind of it, it's it's like well that's that's Letty from Fast and the Furious. So I I don't necessarily know if it was a typecasting kind of thing or maybe I, I or or something I don't I well I, I mean when you think about uh, taking those um those you know metaphors if you think about Captain Kirk as he was in the Star Trek movies and in the Star Trek movies it was young Kirk right so it was charismatic Kirk it was slippery Kirk uh, Kirk and I think that is really the essence of a bard right so charisma kind of slithering out of problems thing things like that um I have a question for you Mark. In a strictly non-D&D way, do you think that the movie looks good from the trailer? I do, actually. I, I do. Think do. I and think I, it does, I, too. I, I'm going to assume it's going to be an IMAX movie. And I actually, Sadie, if you want to watch it and get together with our friend group and whatnot and watch it in IMAX, I think we, I'd be willing to do that. I would love that. We'll see how we're going to get you into D and D one way or another, Mark. Oh, I've been I know. trying to wear away at his defenses. You should play to get a drunken master a campaign. Oh yes, <laughs> you should play a drunken master. I don't know if I hilarious. have the patience for D and D, I really don't. It is literally just three hours of fuckery. You just literally that sounds like a you, lot. <laughs> you can play a character in any way you'd like. You can cause trouble. You can be trouble. You're like, people are coming up with a plan. You're like, well, my character wouldn't do that. I run in and start stabbing things. Mm-hmm. Eh. <laughs> Whatever. We'll work on them. Nobody we'll likes We'll work you. on them. <laughs> Next topic. So, guys, uh, Brittany Griner, Center for the Phoenix Mercury and recent Prisoner of War, is finally back in the United States. Uh, this week, she received a major honor when the Arizona Republic named her Arizonan of the Year, stating that she became the face of global unrest, as well as intensely capturing the public eye. 
Brittany recently stated that she will be returning to the Mercury in the 2023 season. So, Mark, after living the plot of a Tom Clancy novel, do you think Griner is rushing her return to the WNBA? And on top of that, do you think that a award uh, of that nature is granted? I'm not 100% sure. I, I don't. I, I can't really speak on behalf of Brittany Griner for obvious reasons, but it's perhaps playing professional basketball gives her solace. And if it's if that's what's needed for her mental health to have that feeling of normalcy, then by all means, she she should do that. And if it were me, that's what I would want to do. If I want to, if I had something, do do I think do I think uh, a reward is is appropriate? Uh, I'm she she was a prisoner of war, as we've kind of stated in the past. Did she do something of valor? Not necessarily. She was just kind of caught in a sticky situation. So do you do you deserve an award for that? I I I don't really know. Uh, well, I'd like to think the fact that she's back, the fact that she survived. You don't know what happened there. I mean, again, right? All we know is the things we look at in spy movies and spy novels. Um, and so whatever it was, it was hard. Uh, give that right off the bat. Absolutely. And so to come back to the States, to be sort of hopeful, to get back with your family, um, to your wife, and to be able to do the thing you love again, I think she deserves some um, recognition for that, for sure. And it's a way for everyone to show their support for her as well. Yep. I mean, I'm going to go. Um, my uh, foster sister is uh, a big Bernie Garner fan, and she asked if we wanted to go this summer. And I told her for sure. I'd really like to get Jamie watching um, women's basketball. I think that um, she's like on the cusp of where she can like a sport. And I think she's tall and athletic. She swims. So I think basketball is a good sport for her to like. What do you think, Sadie? Um, I mean, I would say that the award, in my opinion, is definitely deserved to be in that situation during such like a, vol a volatile time of like war and be trapped there, essentially, and to overcome that and make it back here and be looking forward to get back to a normal life and everything. And just to have stayed strong through all of that, 100%, I'd say that that award is justified. I think she's also a real um, diversity beacon. People who, I mean, a female professional athlete, but not only that, a African-American lesbian female professional athlete mm -hmm. who is a story of success um, for a lot of people and sort of having gone through this trial and coming out on the other end shows people who feel kind of non-included in society that mm -hmm. anything can happen, right? And you can survive anything that happens to you. It was certainly a, an awful situation that she got in, caught in. Um, in some respects, just to play devil's advocate, it was kind of something that she did on her own volition. Just she, she did it unintentionally. She said, "I mean, it was just a, it was certainly an awful situation to to be in. I definitely would not want to wish that on on my worst enemy. Uh, so I, I mean, we would we definitely wish her the best. What a place to make that mistake in. Yes, absolutely. And and I'm I'm hoping that she never returns to that that professional Russian team. Well, there is certainly part of me that believes that you know. The conspiracy of the, the perfection of her capture seems a little too politically motivated. Well, I think I read somewhere that uh, she had basically went into court and said, I didn't mean to do this. Like, this is totally 100% just a straight up mistake. I had no bad intentions. And they still gave her like 
that harsh of a sentence. So I would agree, probably. There's definitely ulterior motives in that. By the power of next topic. So, John, we've talked in the past how much we're looking forward to John Wick Chapter 4. And we all love those movies where you have the badass just walking away from the giant explosion and that vigilante justice that we see in a lot of superhero movies like Batman and and whatnot. However, do you feel that movies kind of play a role in the vi- all the violence that we see in this country today, especially specifically gun violence, and do you feel that these people that are committing these crimes are feel like they're validated because they feel like they're doing vigilante justice? I mean, I don't think so. I don't think I've ever thought that. I think the main problem with violence in America and um, really violence in the world is uh, mental health, and I think that people who have diagnosable mental health problems need to be controlled in a way that we do not control in this country. I think it takes a certain kind of broken to walk into a school and shoot a bunch of kids. I think it takes a certain kind of broken to go and kill your girlfriend because she slighted you or a girl that's not even your girlfriend, right? Just to go kill someone because you think that you are validated somehow. I think that there is too much access for too many people and the internet unfortunately takes these people who don't really have a way to feel seen and makes them seen instantly if they do something horrific. So you don't think movies like John Wick, because again, John Wick, essentially, he's on this giant vendetta because they killed his dog, which obviously isn't really a, a, a great excuse to go on a giant killing spree. But do you, you don't think maybe that's sending a subliminal message to, to all these people? I mean, I think not to say that that's naive, but, you know, there is a certain amount of people in this world who will do violence. And I don't think that video games or media is teaching them how to do violence or doing violence is okay. I think the one thing that it does do is desensitize. And so that being said, being a father of a 10 year old, I definitely manage um, Jamie's violence intake. Desensitize, I think, is a great way of putting it. But. I don't think that a person who is, for lack of a better term, um, sane is going to do, you know, that kind of violence to someone. I mean, you think about it, right? You say John Wick is a a blueprint for violence, but John Wick is playing an assassin. And sure, sure, they killed his dog and it made him upset. But still, he is a person who kills people for money, right? And if you did some sort of character study on someone like John Wick, someone who maybe is a professional hitman, and you'd see the trauma in their life and the mental health issues in their life. I'm going to die on this hill, Mark. Sadie, what do you think? Uh, I totally agree. I think that coming from uh, a household when I was growing up, I love video games. And I was constantly told like, oh, these are going to make you violent. These have that kind of effect. But they don't. We play these games. We watch these movies. I personally have never had violent tendencies, tried to go on vendettas. So many people that I know that play these games and stuff, they don't have those urges. We need to look at the root of the problem, which, like you said, is, you know, mental health in this country. We don't put enough weight on that. Healthcare, we need to cover more of, you know, mental health, make it more accessible for people, you know, only by looking at the actual cause of it, are we going to help improve basically violent epidemic that we have going on? And the problem too, is that mental health is not even not supported. There's a stigma. 
Mm-hmm. And so you have you have people who have mentally ill children who are say well to do and they hide it like Newton, right? Mm-hmm. The the Newton shooter was the son of a very wealthy man who had mental problems, got access and did a horrible thing. Yep, absolutely. We need to make it more accessible by us saying, you know, it, you know, it movies like that might desensitize us and everything, but we don't want that to become, you know, the main discourse on it when we're talking about this. It's not, you know, we need to cut back on the violence in movies. It's, you know, why are movies having, you know, this effect on people? You know, we need to get to the actual root of the problem. We need to keep talking about that. So Sadie, if you haven't heard on this podcast, Mark doesn't have Netflix. I know. But for everyone who How did is we segue normal- to this? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So in the fourth season of Stranger Things, there is a big discourse on this where the main group of friends, they play D&D. And this one person who is, you know, counterculture in the 1980s is a D&D DM and he gets blamed for a murder because he's weird and he looks like he could. And so the clean cut um, football player children, they pretty much try to lynch him. And it's because they believe that D&D is a game of the devil. Yep. And, you know, that part of the show, you know, is very much, you know, what actually did happen, you know, even like, my when my dad first tried to get us started into D, my mom was very dead set against it like she called it you know the devil's work it's like something that still persists today yeah it's it's so weird it's so weird but it's it's yeah it it's definitely a stigma there You're i told right. you i'd get there <laughs> john i'm actually glad you brought that up because just to piggyback on on, on you guys i actually think yes this the the violence problem that we have in this country does is is a mental health issue but i think it also has to do with the fact that we just keep trashing each other and and making everyone feel bad just for whatever reason well i think that social media has caused a rampant bullying problem in high schools i mean just rampant and i you used to be able to, so anyone who grew up in the 80s, who grew up in the 90s, you used to be able to escape your bullies. You used to be able to get a break at home. And now there is 24-7, get away from it. 365 uh, you know, chances for the people who hate you because of the color of your skin or because of the things you like to do or because of the color and the, the way you do your hair, because you're poor, because you're fat. There is a chance for those people to consistently and constantly make you feel small. But we're and we all just feel so angry. I think deep down inside. I mean, things like January sixth happened because of all that pent up anger in inside, and the the well, way well, and megalomaniac oligarchs well, trying to p- use that to their advantage. Well, the reason why I was trying to bring up like vigilante justice and whatnot. Everyone on January sixth, I think, thought they were doing the right thing. And so that whole distortion... I kind of disagree with that. I think that those were people who, with an inflated sense of their own ego, doing things like taking selfies in bullhorns in the White House to, to, you know to prove a point that they could even to, to say that they are disappointed with their lot in life. Yet another topic that we won't be able to solve on this <laughs> nope. episode. So that has been our 10 topics. Please follow or like us on our socials. 
at if these balls pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also find us on Facebook. Our website is www.iftheseballscouldtalkpod.com. And you can find out more about us. I'm still taking submissions for the If These Balls Could Talk drinking game. Um, if somebody comes up with some rules, we will play on air. So that will be fun for us and maybe for you. We would like to thank our guests for joining us this week. Thank you very much, Sadie. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Sadie. Uh, we apologize for not having Pete on this episode today. Unfortunately, he had a prior commitment, so he wasn't able to record with us tonight. But we do miss you, Pete. Miss you, Pete. I'm going to hug him later. Thank you to everyone for listening. This has been Mark Pesci, and for my partner, John Campania, that's what we feel they would say if these balls could talk. If these balls could talk, they would walk along the bases and into the field. If these balls could talk with Mark and John.